0: Welcome to another episode of the Cubic Report podcast. I'm glad you tuned in or clicked in today. This is Victor Cubic. My guest is Lieutenant Anthony Reese of the Union Township Police Department here in Claremont County in the Cincinnati area. Welcome, Tony. I'm Vic, thanks for having me. We've done two podcasts before where we talked about service and responsibility We also talked, recent history of the police, about reputation in a difficult time for law enforcement where people wanted to defund the police and had other very bizarre proposals. Tony and I are fellow Rotarians and have gotten to know each other over the past six years and he's also been the president of our club. Well, there are several things we want to talk about today and it's just very obvious. And I'm just very glad that you were able to take the time and just want to be able to uh, talk to us at a difficult time, really, for not only law enforcement, but what's happening in our society, what's happening in the United States. And that is regarding the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. I'm sure you've had a lot of questions about this.
1: Yeah, we have had a lot. Um, It's just one of those scenarios that's probably your your worst nightmare. And it's certainly a scenario uh, that As a police department, we train for here. We have a large uh, public high school in our district, uh, roughly, um, I would say about 2,800 students, give or take some, and we train for scenarios like this, hoping and praying that they never happen, but you always have to be prepared. We talked about that earlier, that you just never know when you you turn on the news where you're going to hear about this next. Well, this was, again, very troubling. From the standpoint
0: of that there are so many of these shootings and the question arises is when is the next one going to take place and where will it take place? Uh, I used to be pastor in Paducah, Kentucky and uh, we had, of course it wasn't in my time, but a little community just west of town called Heath and there was a mass shooting there and I thought why would somebody in a nice group of people like this have something like this happen? You think of it as happening
1: in difficult parts of metropolitan areas, but it could happen anywhere. It can't happen anywhere. And I, I think, you know, the, the bond that links all these these horrible uh, incidences together is that you're usually dealing with somebody that's either suffering from some from some type of mental or psychological issue, depression, anger over something. And, you know, until we find a way to start dealing with people like that and handling, treating people like that in society, we're going to continue to have these problems.
0: Well, I think that what this is kind of gets to where, where we're going, where I'd like to have some answers from you, because as we were talking here before the podcast, when you are confronted, if I was confronted with having one of my or both of my twin grandsons who are 10 years old, which is the age of the, a lot of the kids that were killed here, killed in a brutal way like that, I don't know how I could handle it. Or I don't know how anyone could give me an answer that would really give me comfort.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. Um the grief that these people are, are dealing with, n- no explanation or breakdown of the incident that you can give them is going to make them feel better. Um, and we've heard a lot of information come out of Uvalde. And I am by no means an expert on it. I have listened to some of the reports, obviously, to the extent of what I do for a living. A couple, you know, my, A couple of thoughts on that. First of all, until I know exactly what happened down there, I'm not going to critique, praise, or criticize anybody. Second, And secondly, you don't know if the information that you're getting is correct. I'm not accusing anybody of lying or of covering things up, but there are different agendas. There are different people that are, are going to want to cover up the liability that may be there. But there's just such a, a multitude of circumstances that led up to that tragic situation there a couple of weeks ago and rather than play the blame game you almost have to address everyone some of them are security measures some of them are lapses in judgment from some of the people involved on there and then unfortunately some of them are our lack of response from the police department and, and i certainly understand where the anger confusion comes from in society when they hear that that why wasn't the police department trained or why didn't they respond in a certain way well that's
0: what uh, people have found you know that they that they let something, a period of time go by when they could have done something. Yeah. But that still doesn't do away with the fact that there may be another Ramos or uh, Ramos out there. Right. In fact, there have been shootings even after that particular incident. There have. And and there are basic systemic problems with our society that brings this type of behavior out where people do such things.
1: There are. And I think the knee jerk reaction is always to come up with tighter gun control laws, you know, maybe do away with guns, stuff like I mean, that's obviously on the extreme end. I take a measured approach to that. I'm a, I'm a big believer in the Second Amendment. You know, I'm a big believer in the right to carry arms. I'm also a big believer that sometimes guns in the schools can help by way of security. But I will say this. Something needs to be done. I'm, again, I'm a big believer in gun rights, but problem, uh, the problem is, is that these guns are finding their way into the hands of people that have no right to carry them because of the mental issues, the anger issues. We have to find a way to avoid these guns getting into the hands of the people that they're getting in the hands of. And 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 I want to stress, I, I also believe it. Yeah, guns kill people. Sure, they do, but you can't just blame the gun shops you can't blame the gun manufacturers you have to avoid situations where the wrong people are carrying these guns we need to start there
0: well i just feel that our society itself when you take a look at how society is educated entertained when you take a look at the stuff that's on media my wife and i hardly watch any movies anymore because they're so violent or they have They have content that, to me, is there, it's just. I'm beyond that. You know, I don't have to be entertained by that type of thing. And one of the, the commentaries on television was about how violent the movie The Godfather was back in 1972. <laughs> that's that's uh, 50 years ago. The Godfather was a big, big hit. Of course, it still is. And now that's considered rather just tame, <laughs> t- tame. <laughs> and and the things that people see now. Uh, how people are blown away through little videos that are made or or cartoon-like videos, death is not something
1: that is 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 uh, horrific. No, and 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 I would probably even even argue that some of these video games are training for these kids, training for the real thing. Some of these video games they have guns in their hand. It's it's virtual reality type stuff. So it's all I would almost argue that they're training and getting ready their dry runs for the real thing. You know, another thing is not just the video games, but the social media out there is, is I believe, a, a big factor. There's just so much social media. There's Everybody's got an opinion. There's a lot of resentment out there on social media. It's all about what I've got and maybe if you're, you don't have when you see what everybody else has and you think of what you don't have. You know, I think there was a lot of resentment on the shooter from Uvalde uh, towards the schools and the fact that he – you know, wasn't able to pass or was having trouble getting through high school. So this resentment that builds up and social media, I think, feeds into it. And then you, it's a breeding ground for situations like the ones that we had there a couple weeks ago. Well,
0: how can we, I'm sure that you, along with other law enforcement officials, are doing more than just you know, thinking about prevention, but you're thinking about the cause. Have, have you thought about maybe what we could do as far as educating or to bring in
1: stronger moral, feelings about what we can do to change society? You know, it's a good question, Vic, and I don't know the answer to that. I don't, because with the public schools system, you've got so many kids coming at you from different walks of life, different experiences, different uh, structures at home. Um, Some of them from two-parent traditional families, some of them from one-parent families, some of them from families where there's not an adult around to supervise, and they're left to their own means. And I think so many of these kids are coming from different backgrounds and different home lives that, you know, I don't know that, you know, teaching more morals or teaching better things is going to, you know, is going to have a bearing on that in school. It certainly can help, or I'm sorry, it certainly can't hurt, but we really, I think what we really need to do is st- start trying to identify these kids at an at a earlier age or, or at a starting point to where you identify these issues and these kids and what could be a problem down the road. And you address it before it becomes so bad that they feel like they need to go in and shoot up a school. One thing that really struck me here at a recent Rotary Club
0: meeting is that we had the domestic relations judge for Claremont County speak yep. to us and she brought out some things that i think that might have a bearing on this because the problem may be the relationships that families have either estrangement or just very socially distanced you know from from one another but they're not close as father and son mother and daughter and what she brought out in her speech to our club which was an excellent speech she talked about how parents sometimes text more to their kids than actually talk to them
1: yeah and and the
0: par- little and the daughters don't see
1: the mom chopping up a vegetable or doing anything like that and they're just distanced yeah there's not enough communication and you know the last two of the last significant school shootings that we've had the Uvalde shooting and the Parkland Florida shooting the one thing those two situations had in common was it all started with resentment towards a family member Mm-hmm. And then they fortunately, there was violence against that family member. It was the grandma and Uvalde, and mm-hmm. it was, you know, I believe an aunt uh, or somebody that, he, that, that the kid was living with in Parkland. And then it escalated into they left there and then they went to the school and, you know, and, and, then, and then continued the violence. So, family values, loving and caring for these kids, there's something obviously missing in their life. Take it take it out on, on at these school shootings. The one positive thing I've seen, you asked me earlier about you know, what can we do in schools. The one thing I've seen in both private and public schools, and I have a unique perspective here because I have two teenage boys and they both, one goes to a private school and one goes to a public school. Mm-hmm. And what I have seen in both schools is that there's a lot of peer support now. There's kids that are involved in peer support and counseling other kids, grief counselors. Actually, my 16-year-old who goes to McNicholas, he participates in that. So if you're a child, if you're a student that's struggling at home, whether personally or academically, it's not just the teachers that can help you out. It's your actual, your peers and your Mm -hmm. students. And I think that's a great thing because these school shootings, there's a lot of resentment and they go in and they shoot other students. I think when you've got students helping students, it's just one more method of support inside the schools and, and i've seen a lot more of that in the last five to ten years in the school systems well there's gonna to have to
0: be a lot more of that just uh, yeah. uh, overall because you can have a lot of good kids around but you have somebody like the ramos situation there and that just destroys the lives of families for a whole generation from this and i just feel like there has to be a remake of society yeah. <laughs> in, in a way uh, and that th- th- that's very very sad Let's get back to guns uh, a little bit, because so much in the press, in fact, the NRA had their convention at the same time that this, yeah. this thing took place. And, of course, they're holding firm uh, to what they have. I might just mention this, is that I, about guns, I really have no feeling one way or the other. But I did not grow up in a family that had a father who went hunting, you know, or that we had a love for guns. I didn't either. You know, and... Uh, I, I just never really liked pistols and that type of thing. And once I was uh, called to be a juror, uh, and the defense jury, the defense lawyer, questioned me. said, what do you think about guns? Because it was a case that was involved—it was a criminal case regarding uh, armed robbery. And I said, oh, I hate guns. I got thrown off the, <laughs> I got thrown yeah. the trigger, you know very quickly because I, I honestly don't don't like guns. I just uh, don't get a thrill out of of that type of thing. But there are those who handle them very responsibly. and I know that among my friends, I have peers too that hunt and you know mm-hmm. that, uh, do that type of thing. But what would you recommend as a statement about gun ownership? gun education so that these guns don't get to those types of people. I mean, why would somebody want to have an assault rifle as a, a fun thing to uh, have?
1: No, you raise a great point. And um, I, I agree with you. I'm not, you know, I'm a police officer. Obviously, I train on, on a weapon, but I'm, I'm not a guy that's out shooting guns in my off time. Not that I have anything against it. What's frustrating to me is that, regardless of whether you're not, whether you're a liberal or a conservative or Republican or a Democrat, the issue is getting politicized. We need politicians, in my humble opinion, that can reach across aisle and work together. In other words, this too politicized. You know, the, the 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 view in the world is that the conservatives or Republicans don't want to do anything because of the NRA, you know, being in their pocket, and you know, the Democrats want to do too much. And there's an argument to be made for both, but nothing is ever going to happen unless these groups of people can work together and find a way to limit the ability to get these guns. And, you know, I agree agree with you, and this is not a popular belief among my fellow police officers. I believe you have the right to have a weapon. I believe you have the right to own a gun and defend yourselves, but I'm not really sure why we as a society have to have people running around out there with assault weapons. The common citizen cannot go out and buy a fully automatic weapon. Obviously, that's reserved for the military and some special specialized police SWAT teams. But even a semi-automatic assault rifle, an AR-15 assault rifle, I'm not sure why we need those. And I know that's not going to be a popular opinion. And I, and, and I'm not going to go as far as to say we need to get rid of them. But, you know, these types of weapons can do so much damage out there. And I just don't see... I see more, more of a drawback than an advantage to having them out in society. So I think we need to you know, limit that. But it starts with politicians that are brave enough, regardless of what side of the aisle they're on, to say enough's enough and something needs to be done.
0: Well, I feel like overall, so many other things are politicized. I mean, we're such a divided nation right now. We are. We can't solve the simplest of things. Yes. And, and even with this uh, trying to comfort people, statements are already made about guns and everything. Where people need to be comforted. The, there's death, not only in the families, but also for the whole community. Yes. And what's being broadcast by television, radio, and other means is the political
1: part of it instead of the comforting part. Right. And, you know, the people down in Uvalde that have lost loved ones or were just a, a part of this and are suffering from the blowback from that, they don't care. They don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. They don't care what your position is on guns. They just want something done. They don't, they don't want this to happen again. And— it's nothing's ever going to be done until people start working, facing the problem and working on it instead of just worrying about what side of the aisle their political affiliation falls on. As a police department, I can tell you this because I've had a lot of people ask me this. Why didn't they do something down there? Are they trained to do something? You know, what are they trained to do? I, I can, I'm not going to criticize them because I don't know exactly all the details of how this went down. But I can tell you this much. In Union Township, where I work, if we were to have a school shooting, okay, regardless of whether one officer responds and gets there right away or two or three, we're not going to wait. And I think, you know, this was all addressed after Columbine. We're not going to wait and and set up a perimeter and call in the SWAT team. Because by the time the SWAT team gets there, the damage is done. And that was kind of what happened down mm-hmm. in Uvalde. Okay, you can't have an active shooter running around inside a school, killing people, shooting people while the police wait for proper resources. Our guys are trained. I can only speak for our police department. We are trained when we get there, regardless of whether there's one, two, five, or ten of you, to go in and address the threat. Mm-hmm. Certainly, we would like to have a number of police officers there. But even if it's one, if there's shooting going on inside and you can hear it, you can hear the screams, our guys are expected to go in and address the threat. So, you know, it's really not that hard of a concept. And and is it scary? Absolutely. Could police officers lose their lives? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, that's what we're paid to do. Mm-hmm. That's the risk that we assume when we take on this job. And I can only hope that what happened down in Uvalde isn't, and I don't think it is, but I can only hope that is not a result of of malfeasance on the officers or even more horribly cowardice. Mm -hmm. And I, and I don't think it is, and I'm not saying it is, but when the officers get there, they need to go in and they need to respond. They need to take action. Did, has your department after
0: the Uvalde shooting had a meeting to perhaps debrief a little bit?
1: We've addressed, so we have roll calls at every shift. We have three shifts and we addressed it at our roll calls, reminding the officers what is expected of them. And we train, you know, we train every, uh, I won't say every year, but usually every other year, we do. So, we take a day of training. We do some type of a scenario inside the high school, the local public high school. Our guys all have keys to get into the schools. We have key cards to where if we get there, because our schools are locked down like most are, um, we have the resources to where if we get there, any officer can have a key to get inside the, the, at the exterior of the building. Now, once inside, you're going to confront, be confronted with some locked doors, and we're prepared for that and we're beginning to address that. Our school is very large, probably larger than the typical grade score high school in this country. Um, but we have the resources once inside to navigate through the school. We train in the school, so every one of our officers knows the terrain, knows the hallways, is familiar with the layout of the school. We train with school employees, we train on lockdown situations, and and the the, the students know what's expected of them, the officers know what to expect the students to do. But like I said when we started the podcast, Vic, the best laid plans don't always go down like that because you can't account for what the the bad guy's going to do. Mm-hmm. You can't account for maybe a teacher forgetting and leaving leaving a door open, which I know is one of the things coming out of Uvalde. I don't know if that's 100% accurate or not. But you can't account for human error or what happens, what unfortunate circumstance leads these kids to be able to get inside and do what they do. So all you can do is train. Respond as you are trained and hope for the best. Well, I know that
0: I really applaud the work that you've done. I know that I've gone to our high school a number of times. once to be a, an, in a board meeting and, and, and another time, well, I take some of our foreign exchange students for a Rotary Club back, back to school. But uh, I know that a lot of things are done. It's quite different from what it was when I was in high school, where everything was wide open and we never feared that type of thing. But it's just sad to see the high school being locked down like that, and for me to communicate with anybody inside, I had to go up to a little microphone, a little, little speaker on the side, yeah. and have to identify myself. And then also, our Rotary Club did some readings for an elementary school, and you know we had to go through that whole same process. And it's sad that it has to get to that point. And I'm hoping that people can really get to the cause uh, more of human nature. And the changes be more a restructuring or a re-education or making it important for people to realize what's right and wrong and teach it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I can't stress enough, you know, we need to do a better job of looking for and seeing the red flags. There's a lot of them out there. I, I can't remember the, the incident that we had a couple months ago where uh, the student was drawing cartoons, showing him shooting kids. The, the principal intercepted it. And you know, they call the parents in, the parents, you know, kind of covered for the kid, and he was allowed to remain in school that day. These are all red flags. And you have to remove a kid from school when he exhibits behavior like that until you, you've determined that he's safe enough or it's safe enough to allow him back into school. You can't subject these students to this. So we need to do a better job of, of seeing the red flags addressing mental health, addressing the behaviors, setting systems up within the school like peer support, psychological support, counseling, you know, to address it when we when we do
0: identify the red flags. Well, I really do like the peer support because young people or people listen to peers, you know, yeah. peers recommend things or peers say things. They listen to that more than somebody preaching at them. So I, I really like that. i are hoping that more of that could be done, and that true values are, are instilled in, of respect for property, respect for life.
1: I agree, and, and the great thing about having a peer to talk to is that maybe some of that resentment that one child has against another child, whether it's because of socioeconomic status or popularity within the school, when another one of your fellow students takes the time out of their day to help you to listen to your issues and your problems, just to provide an ear, I think, I think that does a lot to the the psyche of the kid that's suffering, is to say, hey, there's another student in this school that while he may be different from me, we don't hang out, we're not friends, we don't run in the same group, he is empathetic to my issues. And maybe that takes away the resentment that that student might have for his other students. So there's nothing but positive things that come from the peer support.
0: I know one thing is that uh, Rotary Magazine, a number of years back, had an article about people who were released from prison and it particularly focused on Cook County in Chicago, okay. which had the number of people released from prisons was in the thousands. <laughs> Busy county. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they had them go through, or I'm not sure if it was voluntary or not, but through a program of teaching them that violence is not the answer. I mean, once they come out, you know, they're in prison, they're angry, they're glad to get out, but then those old things come back. And there was a program to teach them that that is not the answer. And not only did they teach them not to be that way, but they showed them
1: alternatives of how you can
0: change. It. And it did have some good effect.
1: I could see that. A big problem with people coming out of prison. I know we're getting into a different topic. But it, and the reason recidivism is so high, that's the, mm-hmm. the likelihood that they'll reoffend. Mm-hmm. Okay, the reason it's so high is because we are releasing people, you know, back into society. And we're putting them right back into those same old situations. Whereas we need to probably do a better job, I know the resources are thin, of giving them resources, whether it's a job opportunity, to to keep them from falling back into those same habits and those same ways that got them into prison in the first place. You know, because when these people get out of prison, they have to survive, they have to work, they have to be able to provide for themselves, they have to, you know, get by. And if they're not given the ability or resources to do that, crime is usually the first option for
0: people like that. Right, and that has to be, you know, it, a society has to be educated in that. It's interesting how a society where one member of the family or is put into prison, that that tends to also pass on to the family. And yet, there's another side to that, is that
1: a family that has held high values, future generations stay s- s- stay right. Yeah, especially if it's the breadwinner or the key provider and now it's left to maybe the oldest son or one of the children, you know, dad's gone in prison for a while or mom's in prison and mom was the only parent, now it's on maybe the oldest child to take care of the other kids and that's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. on anybody, let alone a kid or a teenager, and drugs out there they can be sold and there's money to be made that way, you know, unfortunately sometimes that's the traps that these people fall in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if we as a society aren't helping out and giving them
0: resources well tony you've been so very very helpful i know that our audience will appreciate hearing an authoritative answer so many times people pop off with opinions that really don't have background or just saw something on TV and they just stated it again or are part of a group that either watches one side of the media, the CNN side or the Newsmax side or the Fox side and so they repeat those things. But I do believe that there are common values all the way across the board. Like you said, if people could come together and say this is what we should be doing this is what we should be teaching these are the values that we ought, ought to follow.
1: Yeah, it, it's um, yeah, I want to stress to everybody that might be listening you know, nobody other than the families that are involved, nobody is is any more frustrated than law enforcement. These kids are, are hunkered down in these classrooms while a shooters running through the school, and nobody's coming to help them. They're wondering, they're wondering where are the police? Where is there somebody to help me? That breaks my heart when I hear that. I can only imagine, you know, what these kids have to go through or going through, and what now what the families are dealing with in the aftermath. All I can tell you is that every department, every police department in this country has a plan or trains for these scenarios because of the multitude of events like this that we've had in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. We've all trained for it. You know, we all know how to respond. It's just a matter of responding to the events that unfold. And every situation is different. So. I, I'm not blame I'm not saying there's not some blame to be laid out, but don't be too quick to lay the blame out until you hear the entire story. but at the end of the day, it's our responsibility to respond to that and handle that and if we're not doing that, then people need to be held accountable Well thank you Tony. This has been so so very helpful. I'd like to end on a little lighter note sure. Here. <laughs> You've come, a couple of a sunshine.
0: In a- <laughs> <laughs> you have come a couple of times to speak to our ABC, and you've talked about your canine unit. Yes, which, which is very, very well known uh, about the dogs that you have. You have two dogs. They have very, very. Interesting name. One is called Chaos.
1: <laughs> Chaos and havoc, and they are adequately named. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just give us. I know that my secretary, who is now deceased, she just really loved your stories about yep. this, and she was saying next time you come here to the home office in Cincinnati, bring your dogs, and you were going to. But you know, she she, she died about a year and a half ago. Anyway, tell us a little bit about the about that.
1: The dogs are doing good. Um, Chaos is the older dog by about three years, and he's close to retirement. Um, we've had chaos for close to eight years now. Um, he's probably got another one or two years in him, service dogs. The service life of them is usually eight to 10 years and, you know, the hips get bad and they get older because they work hard. Uh, and we'll, I'm sure we'll replace him at some point. Um, but the dogs are good. A lot of people think of the dogs as, you know, well, they, they bite the bad guys and they find the bad guys and they do do all that. They find the drugs, but they also find, children that are lost. They also find older people suffering from Alzheimer's or dementia that wander away from home. We also take them to a lot of PR events in the schools, give the kids and the people out there the ability to see them. They're a great resource to have. We didn't always have them. That was an initiative that we took about 10 years ago to bring our canine unit back. We started with one, now we've got two. So I think the dogs will always be a part of the police department, at least as long as I'm here. So. <laughs> That's I know we've really enjoyed that. Well, thank you, Tony, for being with us. You're welcome. Glad glad to be here. Yeah, I, I'm so glad that you were able
0: to just agree to for this interview.
1: Well, we certainly will miss you when you leave, Vic. A rotary uh, and I've always enjoyed these podcasts uh, thanks for having me
0: well we're just not sure exactly when we'll be leaving maybe this summer we're, we don't have to move just right away so, yeah but we appreciate your friendship and the club has been like like a family absolutely thank you for joining us today on the cubic report I hope that you enjoyed this podcast be sure to tell your friends about our new podcast If you have any questions or would like to comment on today's podcast, write to me at vcubic at gmail.com. That's V-K-U-B-I-K at gmail.com. So thanks again. Come back soon for more.